Hello and welcome to Minter Dialogue, episode number 269. Today is Sunday the 18th of March 2018, and this podcast is with Peter Shankman, who's the author of five books, an angel investor, and speaker with a talent for provoking and driving fresh perspectives in marketing, storytelling, PR, and communications. He's best known for founding Help a Reporter Out, Harrow, in 2008, a precious resource for journalists that was acquired by Cision in 2010. In this conversation with Peter, we talk about marketing, the use of technology to promote your brand, the role of influencers, storytelling, and data to drive your marketing. Welcome to the Minter Dialogue podcast, where we discuss branding and all things digital. I am Minter Dial, your host, and you'll find the show notes on my eponymous site, MinterDial.com. Enjoy the show. Peter Shankman, thanks for coming on. So listen, you and I met uh, finally after many years of sort of in different circles uh, and uh, connected thanks to our great friend Gabrielle Lane Peters. Um, we, we had this wonderful session talking about fake news at the Model UN. So you are a journalist, um, a businessman, entrepreneur, author of four books uh, and uh, helping companies... Uh, get 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 in shape in marketing. That's sort of what I understand about you, Peter. But in your better words, who are you? What's your mindset? Uh, you know, I'm just a guy that likes to help people. I uh, Everything I do really falls under the category of how can I help someone, how can I improve someone's day or life, whatever. It's uh, For me, it's a lot of fun. I have a really good time, and I'm, I'm very fortunate that I get to do that. In, in the fact that you have this background between journalists and, and in business and marketing, how do you see the crossovers? And I, I think of that mostly in the context of of newspaper editors today and journalists. How 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 do you see the crossover? And and what can marketers take from the challenges and the way the solutions that newspapers are going after today? I think one of the things marketers need to understand, <clears throat> PR people, anyone who's really working with uh, anyone in the media, is that you know the media is doing. 400 times more with, you know, 8,000 times less. And somehow, some of them are figuring out ways to do it. I mean, you know, the New York Times uh, has their highest revenue numbers they've ever had, uh, uh, the highest subscriber rates they've ever had. So, you know, there are ways to do it, but I think it's just, you need to understand that nothing more than anything, it's about um, focusing on, again, how you can help. How can you make the reporter's job easier? How can you make the connector's job easier? So that, you know, everyone thinks that, 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 PR and marketing is getting a, a journalist uh, to, to write about you. It's actually uh, making a journalist's job easier. You do that, they're going to cover you by default. All right, so that's that's as far as the, on the PR side. So that, that's specifically when a marketing team or the PR team is, is going to try to get coverage. But I was thinking more about how right. storytelling and or getting your message out there um, in a valuable manner, in a timely manner, in the form that is needed – or at least, you know, how newspaper journalists, or not newspaper, media journalists are trying to get their messages the, out. I think one of the things to understand is that um, having an audience is a privilege, not a right. Uh, I think way too many people believe that it's a right uh, to have an audience or a right to have people that will listen to them, whatever the case may be. And I found that, you know, treating it like privilege, i.e., I have an audience who's willing to listen to me, I need to make sure that this audience is uh, that I'm giving them exactly what they want, and I understand about them, that I understand what they're doing, that I understand how they 
want to receive their information. I'm giving them everything they want the way they want it. You know, I think that's one of the biggest problems is that people tend to, um, they tend to uh, sort of talk uh, much more than they listen. And that's a mistake. You know, you have to start listening to your audience versus uh, just expecting them to be there. And they'll tell you what you what they want. And this goes for whether it's a, it's a um, uh, purchase or whether it's, you know, you're connecting with uh, whatever it is. They will tell you what they want. I think the biggest problem today with marketers and uh, any sort of business people is they're just not listening. Well, is, I, I, I mean, I hear you. And I think that, you know, you look at the way email campaigns are run. It's just a bunch of spam. Right. I ran an email uh, company, Help a Reporter Out. We had... At the high, at the high height of Harrow, I was sending out 1.5 million double opt-in emails a day with an average open rate of 79. <laughs> percent You know, I listened to my audience. I saw what they wanted. I, I understood how they wanted to get their information. I understood what they wanted me to say. I did exactly that. So, I mean, let's, uh, there are a couple of things that I want to go down. One is, um, if if I listened to what they wanted then I would have had faster horses um, expression. And then the, no, I, I, the, I, I heard that expression countless times. And, and yeah, that worked perfectly when people were creating new things. You're not redefining pie with your emails, Minter. You know, <laughs> the, the, you're, not, you're, not, uh, you're not Elon Musk over here, as much as people might want to think they are. And I'm sorry, if you're communicating with your audience, communicate the way they want to be communicated to. Otherwise, you're simply talking at them. That statement, while funny, doesn't apply in this category. And um, as far as the marketing challenges today, I mean, right now, um, the, the number of choices we have in, in communicating with our audience, it could be endless. And so how does one figure out which are the right paths? I mean, you can listen to where they are, but, you know, if, if at some level there is a challenge of, of the number of saturation of the channels that we have to work with. I found it incredibly helpful, again, to ask my audience how they like to receive their information. You know, where, where, what are you, what are you looking for? What would you prefer? How do you like to be heard? You know, there was a, I worked with a, uh, an airline that analyzed what people were doing on their phones when they were sitting at the gate waiting to board. And, you know, the majority of them were just, you know, going through Facebook or checking email or whatever. And, um, you know, they realized that, that the number of people who had their boarding passes online versus still in print it was continuing to grow. And again, it's just listening to that audience, seeing what they want and, and, and actually focusing on it. You know, there's so many people, it drives me crazy. They sit there and they, they uh, try to figure out, well, how do we get the audience? How do we get them to go on this platform where we are? Mm-hmm. You don't, you, you go where they are. You know, what, it, um, Casey Stengel used to say, uh, um, how do you win ball games? You hit them where they ain't. And it's the, it's the exact opposite here. You hit them where they are. Mm-hmm. So you work with a lot of, uh, you're part of this um, business masterminds and uh, working with small business uh, masterminds. And I was wondering, what, as, you, as you look at small businesses, what are the, what's the biggest uh, missing that they have, as opposed to big business, where typically, obviously, there are more people, they probably have some more funds. How do you describe the difference in the, the challenges they have in their marketing, or is there none? Every company has challenges in their marketing. I think that the biggest problem for small businesses is, you know, again, they're not they're not uh, 
being run like large companies. They don't have massive budgets. The biggest problem for them is to realize they don't actually need them. You know, I've done work with companies, especially groups in our mastermind from all around the world, who don't necessarily need giant budgets to to reach their audience and to to get into their audience's heads. Quite the opposite. The majority of small businesses out there are so terrible at marketing and so terrible at communicating with their audience. I don't need you to be awesome. I need you to be a little bit better than what's expected of you, and that's so uh, that's so easy. Again, because it's so it's so bad out there. You know, I what's the what's the joke? I don't. Uh, the two guys are, are are running in the woods and they see a bear about to strike. And the right. first one tightens up his running shoes, and the second one says, "You can't outrun a bear." And the first one says, "No, no, I just need to outrun you." <laughs> exactly. Well, speaking of outrunning, then if we go back to the initial statement you made about how news paper media organizations with much less budget are doing much more. Um, what is it that marketers should be doing to, to, to do more? I mean, is, there, is, it, is it somehow related to the fact that newspaper or media have a mission that they feel, whereas brands sometimes feel that theirs is just making more money? Well, I think it's funny is that, um, you know, brands, again, have this phenomenal opportunity to, to chat with their audience and find out what their audience is doing, which will tell them what they're doing. You know, when I worked in America Online, we used to build these incredible, this was back in the dot-com, before the dot-com day when there were only modems, and we used to build these incredible news packages and and media platforms for for our customers, and they looked awesome to us because we were on massive, uh, uh, you know, OC10 pipes, and then we'd look at it from the customer who's, you know, on a 1,200-baud modem in a trailer park, and it looked like crap because it took eight hours to load in. And we, we learned – that was the most valuable lesson I ever learned in my life, which was to you know build for your audience, right? And so, again, I have, I have people come up to me all the time. Oh, what, what – where should I be online? You know, how should I reach my audience? What should I, I have no idea. You have to know first where your audience is, and that will tell you a lot more than I could ever do. You know, do the homework first. Let's sit down and listen. And, and companies just do not do that, and especially small brands. You know, if you're a small brand, you have such an easy connection to your audience that – the fact that you won't sit there and do that just kills me. Are there some brands that you you think are doing a great job at doing that? Uh, Peloton is one of them. Um, I'm, 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 you know, disclosure. I, I ride their bikes, but it is it is an amazing company that's just allowing uh, the users to do exactly what they want to do, um, and uh, talk. You know, their advertising is great, but it's not for them. It's really not about their advertising. For them, it's really about um, the audience, Every, I think it's like 80% of people who have bought a Peloton did so because one of their friends had one and won't shut up about it. Mm-hmm. You know, um, th- those kind of things are pretty incredible. Um, I love seeing that. I love seeing when, uh, when uh, companies create something that people like so much, right, that they're able to uh, start sharing without them having to do anything about it. That's, that's organic. I love that. That's beautiful. How bullish are you on social media? In, is part of the mix, and, and where do you see do you see falling out? Do you see algorithms keeping to make it harder for brands, or what's your vision of the way social media should be used for for marketers? I love I love all the people that are complaining now because Facebook changed their uh, algorithms again. They're like, well, we can't. We're only reaching two percent of our audience. You know, before social media, if you wanted to reach any percent of your audience, you had to pay for it. Yes. You know, I, I love when they're freaking out. Like, we're not getting our advertising for free anymore. Too <laughs> You know, life goes on. Deal with it. We didn't have that up until about 15 years ago anyway. Wake up. Um, You know, so for me, uh, 
I think that that <laughs> people who people who look at uh, um, if you're looking at social media and you're looking at marketing and social media, driving sales, generating revenue, that makes you skilled in social media. There'll always be a place for that. Having a Facebook account does not. Speaking about Twitter does not. Saying you have influence does not. You know, tell me at the end of the day that you are using a tool or technology to generate revenue, to grow your business, whatever, to, to reach whatever goals you have. You do that, and there's a place for whatever marketing thing you're using, whether it's whether it's uh, 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 social or, or traditional. Social's not going away. I think it's going to it's going to uh, consolidate mm-hmm. a lot. I think that you know Facebook, Google, Apple, <clears throat> those are the clear winners. Um, but yeah, I don't think it's going away. <clears throat> but I, don't, I also don't think there would be fifty million platforms that you have to be on anymore. Mm-hmm. That'll help, maybe. So, what about storytelling? Do do customers want to hear brand stories as much as everyone is saying? I think that when the stories, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily need Pepsi to tell me a story. Uh, when I go to when I go to my bank, I don't need my bank. I don't need my when I actually have to talk to a person there, which is rare. But when I do, I don't necessarily need my uh, 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 teller to ask me about my day and if I have any plans at night. Right, you know, I think that trying too hard kills more than I've ever seen. But the concept of simply how can you know we're doing something interesting, would you like to be a part of our story? Is a much smarter move than let us tell you this thing that we think you'll find interesting. I think the best the brands that are doing it the best are the ones that are allowing their audience, their customers, to be a part of that story, whether it's through user-generated content, whether it's through just, uh, you know, creating ideas. When brands are creating ideas and and creating their stories, um, the thing, one of the things that I I tend to try to suss out is the, is the, the high or the purpose of the, of the brand. To what extent do you think purpose is a necessary ingredient for success in a company? Is it, is it high up there or, or low down? I think every brand needs a vision about what they're doing and why they're doing it. Um, I think purpose is very important. If that can tell you the path that, to which you want to go down, and you're able to follow that path, yeah, by all means. I suppose the challenge, though, is is making whatever might be written as a purpose a real something that's real. How do you? Yeah, yeah brands that, that that you know they make the mistake of. of putting out inspirational stuff that they think is inspirational, that their agency has told them is inspirational, you know, but is that really something that about them? Is that really something that, that, um, the audience is going to care about, you know, and that they, I think a lot of brands get, get very into doing it as it is to be expected, um, without thinking about what the actual consumer wants. And I think that's, that, I think that's killed more companies than anything else is again, thinking they have a better idea about how things should run than the actual consumer who's purchasing their product or using their goods. At some, at some level, Peter, I'm thinking that it's about putting on faster running shoes than my competitor, and they think that that suffices. No, far from it. That's one thing. Um, again, yeah, being a little bit better does tremendous value, has tremendous value. But you have to keep that going. Right? Brands are, audiences are fickle. You have to keep that going. You don't have to keep, you know, again, recreating the wheel, but... If I have a good experience with you, great. I better continue to have a good experience with you. If I have one good experience and then four bad ones, you think I'm coming back? 
All right, so um, how about influencer marketing? Well, you mentioned the word before. So you as an influencer, uh, just start with that. How, how does someone get into your good graces and get Peter Shankman to, to tweet out something? You know, what is, how does that look like? If, if, is it ever possible? Yeah, it is. If they understand what I like, if they understand who my audience is, if they understand that I value my audience above the brand. Um, I'm not going to sit there and have the audience. Uh, I'm not going to. I'm not going to uh, pander to my audience, right? You can't borrow my audience. You can, um, if you have a product or something that I like, and be, you know, by by extension, I believe my audience will like. Sure, come to me. Let's talk about it. But you know, don't think that I have this. You know, I'm not a Kardashian in that regard. You know, I'm not going to start. I don't care how much money you give me if it doesn't benefit my audience. I'm not going to give it to you, and I'm not going to share it with them. All right. In in part of the, the work you you work with brands and and helping um, work with celebrities, I, I tend to personally have a, a little bit of an allergic reaction to celebrity spokespeople, uh, even though it obviously does work. Still, like television ads, uh, still work. Where where do you think uh, the the difference lies in attracting working with a celebrity person as opposed to an influencer. A celebrity comes in the cachet of the celebrity. An influencer comes as a much more related, relatable person to the audience. I.e., oh, Peter is using a that brand of bicycle, and he just did an Iron Man. You know what? If he can do an Iron Man, maybe I can. Right? Versus Michael Phelps wearing a certain kind of wetsuit. I'm not going to be Michael Phelps. I don't care how much I train. So the catch of Michael Phelps using a, a certain kind of wetsuit is entirely different than someone like me using. <clears throat> and is it relatable to the audience? Well, you might want to wear the wet. People aren't going to wear a wetsuit because of the cool cachet of me wearing it. They'll wear it because the cool cachet of Phelps wearing it. But on the flip side, people can relate to me wearing a certain wetsuit because they look a lot more like me than they do like Phelps. And they swim at the same speed uh, that I do. And what's so I think that influencer is much more important in, in, many, in most situations than celebrity is. What advice do you give to brands as they try to brand, brand, ratchet up a, an influencer marketing program? Just be authentic. Be real. You know, research the influencer you're going after. I can't tell you how many times I get calls um, Hey, we want to share. We, you know, we love this. We want to send you a free whatever. Will you share it with your audience? Well, no, because you know I don't wear makeup, and I appreciate you wanting to send me makeup, but I'm pretty sure my audience doesn't come to me for makeup tips. <laughs> you know, I mean, for Christ's sake, just do your do your most basic of homework. In recent times, Peter, uh, there's been um, a number of uh, CEOs uh, who've been outed for ethical challenges. And so, whereas they might have been authentic in their demeanor, um, that type of authenticity is less desirable. Um, what's your viewpoint on on this topic? Well, it's a big question, but you know, I work with a um, a couple of CEOs. I'm on the board of one company where the CEO is very, very um, outgoing and has very strong opinions on a lot of things, and. I find myself putting my palm through my face at least once a week with him. 
Um, not over his. <laughs> I'm sorry? Not Palms not over his face. Well, no, I'm just sort of like doing a face where I'm like, oh, I can't believe it. I just I just saw what he said or, exactly. you know, things like that. And it comes down to, you know, this is who the guy is. You're not going to be able to change him. Um, is he losing clients and customers? Probably. You know, some of the things he says are just probably not necessary. That being said, there are a lot of CEOs out there who they feel that, that, that being in their position gives them a platform which is theirs to use for whatever they want. I don't agree with that necessarily. Mm. Um, if you're going to have a platform and you want it to be a force for good, you better be able to say the right, say things that are for good and that, again, reach to your audience. I tend to avoid politic talk on the majority of my outlets because that's not what my audience knows me for. I have very strong opinions on it, but I don't necessarily need to share them. At some level, though, Peter, it seems um, that there are some almost widely accepted political areas where if you don't speak about it, maybe you agree with this negative side. Mm-hmm. It's very true. And again, every, every CEO has to sort of understand where they're coming from and, and, and what works for them. I think the problem for a lot of them is that, you know, I learned this back in the early days of social, just because you think something's funny doesn't necessarily mean your audience will. And you need to be very aware of that. I remember when 7-Eleven, God, it's probably 10 years ago now or five years ago, they tweeted something about uh, today is National Mental Health Day or so the unseen forces of the government who really control your mind would have you believe. And sure, that sounds very funny, but they pissed off the mental health community like you would not. I mean, 7 million people, right? Uh get diagnosed, I think, every year with some sort of uh, uh, mental health issue, do you really want that number of people angry at you? No one ever got went broke by shutting up. All right, I, that, that brings up this notion of being funny, because uh, yesterday at South By, I was listening to Kate Spade, how they believe that not only this should be entertaining, but they should be funny. What do you think about funny as an editorial line for your marketing messages? I think that there is a definite time and a place for funny. I'm a huge fan of funny. Um, but again, that's authentic. That's what people know me as for my brand. Um, some businesses can get away with it. You know, some advertisers can get away with it. Some companies can get away with it. Again, right place, right time. Know your audience. Uh, when in doubt, err on the side of caution. Yeah, because as soon as you have to say, get away with it, it sounds quite a high-risk uh, venture. When everyone, has a, when everyone has a microphone, everything is a high-risk venture. What's worth it to you? In, uh, in journalism, so because I, I, one of the things I really appreciate about you, Peter, is your, is your knowledge and the fact that you're a journalist. And I, I don't know if I can say ex-journalist, but you're a journalist. Once a journalist, always a journalist. <laughs> yeah, but... Um, what, what about data? Because, uh, you know, in the, the world of journalism, data journalism has really taken on a, a much stronger position. What about data for marketing messages? And, and how do you, do you see a crossover there that you would recommend marketers get more in, in tune with as well? I think the, the you know, uh, sponsored content, paid content, things like that is, is very beneficial. I don't think the advertising models we currently have now um, is doing anything beneficial? You know, I think we're going to have to figure out new ways to do that. Um, I think again, if you're if you're 
reading something interesting, the concept of sponsored content is actually very good. Um, I've seen studies that have said that people don't mind if they know that it's from, if they know that an article is from an advertiser or something like that, but it's something that benefits them, they have no problem seeing it. So, you know, I think that, you know, we need to look at advertising as a different model than, than what we've, you know, we've had, uh, God, you remember the, the dot-com days of the, the 2000 with pop-ups and pop-unders and things like that? You know, we thought those were the best thing ever known to man. Didn't realize how incredibly annoying those were. Would you say that the business models of Facebook and Twitter, therefore, are at risk? I don't think they're at risk, but I do think they need to constantly be evolving. There's, you know, there's no, there's the same reason that, that uh, uh, Facebook is constantly, I mean, Twitter, I don't, I don't even know what the hell their business model is. I, I, I can't, I'm shocked they're still around. They're, you know, they're around because of the, the uh, a world leader really likes talking on it right now. But right. I, I, uh, Facebook has a business model and I, you know, they're constantly evolving and they have no choice. But I mean, it just speaks to this notion of advertising as opposed to subscription. If, if you're in an advertising business, it tends to lead you down the wrong garden path. Almost every single time. No question about it. And, you know, again, you have to be aware, you know, where's the audience going? What are they doing? Things like that. And, and you know, if you're not constantly looking, I think that one of the big mistakes we make is we look at the next quarter as opposed to the next quarter century. <laughs> That's true. Very short, very short term. All right. One last uh, piece of advice for marketers out there. What's the... Uh, What's the golden gem you think that's going to help marketers succeed in the next uh, 18 months, for example? I always, I always go back to something an ex-girlfriend's mother once told me, which is that we, have, we were given two ears and one mouth for a reason, so we can listen twice as much as we talk. Beautiful. Uh, Peter, how can someone track you down or listen to what you're up to? What's the best way to connect with you? Yeah, my entire life is at shankman.com, and my mastermind is at shankminds.com. Beautiful. Peter. I hope to see you again in, in New York sometime soon. Thanks for coming on the show. Have a great week. All right, Minter, take care. Thanks, Peter. Thanks for having listened to this recording of the Minter Dialogue Show. You'll find the show notes and other blog posts on MinterDial.com. If you enjoyed the show, please like the handy Facebook button. Or better yet, head over to iTunes to give a rating and review. But first, relax to Josh Sachs's finger paint. Oh, fill me all your colors any different way to rid me of the gray and heal me with all your imperfections that you mention in your lack of self-security oh I wouldn't care Oh,
portraits in the hallways make our house guests cringe. Oh, I wouldn't care about the art form as long as you would feel warm seeing all your colors on the canvas as we paint a lover's portrait with all your With all your favorite shades And we paint it with our fingers To show Imagine how fast we could solve the world's biggest problems if more SaaS startups would gain traction sooner. Welcome to the Tech Entrepreneur on a Mission podcast. This podcast is dedicated to sharing experiences from B2B SaaS CEOs who are going above and beyond to deliver change that is noticed. You will hear their secrets and learn what is required to build a SaaS business that the world starts talking about and keeps talking about and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so.